unfortunately, this is the last episode of season four. And I want to, before we make this last call, thank my beautiful, lovely wife, Jessica. Thank you for being the co-host for this season. Thank you for having me. Thank you for pushing my limits, taking me out of my comfort zone. Great conversations. And that's a wrap. To be a, even if it's a quaint community, but to be, to have those meaningful combos. I love it. I love it. It's a blessing. And I pray that God would continue to lead you as he has thus far and use the people around you. And I love that you're a great listener. Keep using that. And uh, your beautiful wife. It's been a pleasure. I love your sweet voice and sweet demeanor. I can see why he fell in love. You're both a gift together. So may God bless you and increase you in everything you do. Hi, my name is Alida Salguero, and you're listening to What Would a PK Say? I'm glad that we took the time to talk to two very cool women this season, and we're, we're finishing up. I'm very excited. Okay, I'm honored. I'm honored, and thank you for being a voice and, and a support for case because there isn't there aren't many conversations happening around this particular point of view so i'm super honored to be a part of it and thankful that you guys are investing in this as well as a ministry thank you thank you for those words very kind um very humbling because out in the beginning i always say that i i just kind of wanted to chat with some friends but it became a little bit a little bit more than that and it's it's cool I, i'm okay with that but I don't take any credit. It's all the guests. So when me and Sam spoke, he mentioned that you were a pastor's kid. I didn't know that. And I was like, we got to get her on. So <laughs> since since I had him on the show, that's how long I've been wanting you to be on the show. It just didn't kind of work out. But here we are. And thanks again. Absolutely. So let's go. Let's go right ahead. As far as women are concerned in your life, could you talk about some women that were influential? Absolutely. Well, hands down, my mom. She is a pastor's wife and was never really an ordained minister of any sort, but uh, ministered with her life. Very um, hospitable to people, taught me the gift of hospitality. And she did it with so much love and service. And she taught me a lot and influenced me and my um, disposition of gratitude. Mom, mom was always like, you know, no one owes you a thing. Be thankful for the little things and for the big things. And every breath you take is a gift, you know? So she always gave me that point of view. And as a pastor's kid, she wanted to make sure I was entitled to absolutely nothing and to remain <laughs> humble. You know, she's like, you know, we are servant leaders. And she had that mentality that we're here to serve and we do whatever it takes to to be a blessing. You know, if I, we have to scrub toilets, we scrub toilets in the church. If we have to um, cook for the church, we cook for the church. If we have to host something in the home, we, that's what we do, but whatever it is that the people need, we're here for. So she's very big on servant leadership and I honor her for that. And um, one thing she was very big on because she did not have the chance to pursue um, secondary education. She was huge on making sure that I did not um, limit myself to female roles. She was like, no, don't get in the kitchen, read your books, work on your classes and try to get honors. And, you know, she, she was very big on pushing me in the area of education. So she's a very big influence in my life. I have um, 
a mentor. I don't know if you guys know this, but I also serve in the capacity as an administrator. I'm a school principal. So I had a mentor who was a faith warrior and a school principal. And she is just a firecracker that was a woman of integrity and showed me what it was to be a minister of Christ in the workplace without saying much. Um, so she lived the gospel and that, that was pretty awesome. And then my mother-in-law, um, many of you guys know her. Her name is Raquel Salguero and Pastora. She's big, a big influence because I see her in her capacity on the altar. I see her as a powerful preacher, but I also see her as a loving mother. And I see how she, no matter how busy things can get, you're never too busy for family. And uh, I honor her for that because that is something that she definitely modeled for me. For sure. Yeah, yeah. But she's never too busy, never too busy to cook a meal for us, take care of her grandkids, support her children. She is hands down. Um, it's it's impressive how much she can, because she really is an, a senior executive pastor, and she functions in that full capacity, and it doesn't in any way limit her as a mom. So it's pretty it's pretty awesome to watch. Well, her her fruits say it all as well, like her kids, and mm -hmm. like I, I love talking to them. I love seeing them, and we can be away from each other for years, but when we come together, it's like we never left. And I, I love that about that family, the whole family. So, yeah, I mean, you know more than me. I mean, you've been there. So yeah, I have been married to their son, their second son, not son number two, Sam. Um, and Sam is a gift from God and he uh, knows how to love so well. And I know that it's his mother, his mother instilled what it is to love and respect and honor women. And they do it really well. They're pretty amazing guys. Sam told me. That, mm -hmm. uh -oh. that he told you that he was mm -hmm. going to marry you. Yes. I think it, we think it was his first prophetic utterance. <laughs> and um, it scared me. It alarmed me, but I thought he was cute. So I was like, at least it's coming from a cute prophet. Um, but... Wait, hold on, because I don't know these stories. So was this like the first time you met him? Was this after dating? Was this... No, how I had never prophetic, met. how profound was this prophecy? <laughs> we had never met. We had, we had not interacted. He knew my brother who was a little bit older and Sam is four years older than I am. And his first words to me were, you're going to be my wife one day, not now because we're too young, but you're going to be my wife. Wow. And that was, that was his first word. To and mm -hmm. how old were you guys? Uh, 14. What? Stop. Yes. He didn't know. He thought I was a lot older. <laughs> <laughs> I looked older. I dressed older. I thought I was grown. Um, but yeah. yeah. Wow. That's kind of bold. It is. <laughs> and four years older at 14. Imagine that. Mm. Wow. It's a nice story, though. I, I, I like the stories. It's funny. I don't recommend anyone saying that, though. <laughs> <laughs> it got to come straight from God. <laughs> yeah, make sure you really hear from God on that one. That's pretty cool. That's that's a pretty cool story. Yeah. We're all relatable in that being a PK has a lot of pressures. But besides feeling the, I don't want to say normal, quote unquote, normal pressures of being a PK, did you feel anything specific or different because you were a female? Speaking of being prophesied to about my relationships, my relational life, I think, was a lot more put under the microscope a lot more. Um, I think, you know, it's funny because when I had met Sam and I wanted to start dating him, 
my dad was like, you just broke up with so-and-so and you can't be perceived as going from one relationship to another. You have to talk for at least one year before he can even step into this house. And sure enough, if he's willing to wait for you, then, you know, he's the guy. So poor Sam had to talk to me on the phone for a year before he could even step into my home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but my relational life, my romantic life, my dating life was definitely under the microscope a lot more. I think my God only knows how many relationships my brother was in. And that was not so much of a big deal as it was that, that I was in and more, you know, in a one relationship and moving into another. And in hindsight, hindsight is twenty twenty. He gave me good advice because it was good that I didn't jump right into the relationship and that Sam and I had formed a friendship before really making it formal. So it was a gift, but I didn't see it as a gift. Um, but the reason was more about, you know, you don't want people talking about you. And so I, I do feel that, you know, of course, anything I wore, or my attire, I was raised in a very conservative Spanish Pentecostal setting. So anything I wore was, you know, under the microscope as well. So, of course, my brother didn't experience that. He could pretty much wear anything and he was good to go. So in, thing, in that area, but when it came to spirituality, I could truly say um, that although I never aspired to be a pastor myself, because in, in that setting, I was not, um, women are missionaries, not pastors. But um, I have to say that anything that I did, they would encourage me to preach. I, I would preach and my leadership did start to show at a very young age. And he was you know, always very, both the church and my parents were very encouraging of that, of you know, doing work in ministry and leading in ministry, being a youth president at the time, there was like a youth society, Asociación de Jóvenes, and you just, you know, in your youth society, you have your youth leaders and your youth president. And so I was exercising those leadership roles. I was performing in those leadership roles at a very young age. I was president of the children's ministry, president of the youth ministry, and and then a Sunday school teacher and, you know, a preacher. And I, so they did encourage me to use all of my giftings for the Lord and that I'm thankful for. Yeah. Those different things that, that you served in, they, you know, they open a door for you to go ahead and, and, and be yourself or expand in the ministry. Did you growing up in the church that you did, did you feel like, okay, this is enough. I can't go past this line because you were a female. Because I was a female. I think the line of pastoral leadership was one that I did not see until I married mm. into um, the Salguero family. And the Salguero family, their church is an independent church. And in that church, my mother-in-law took on the executive role as senior pastor, co-pastor with her husband, with um, Bishop Salguero. And um, and she had a very active role. So, But I think as a PK, I never really quite aspired to be a pastor. I knew what it required of the family, the sacrifice, the, you know, my husband and I are now leading as pastors, as um, lead associate pastors in the church. And, but, and we're transitioning into senior leadership um, in the future and uh, we're preparing for that transition. And it's not something I quite wanted, not because I'm a female, but just because I know what it takes to be, you know, a senior pastor. I've seen many sides of it. So, you know, now I've come to acceptance that that is where God has called us. And I'm honored 
to do it and I have a different point of view. But as when I was younger, I, I didn't really want it. So I didn't feel like it was a line that I couldn't cross because it wasn't a line I didn't want to cross. <laughs> got it, got it. A little PK PTSD there going on. Mm -hmm. I was like, nope, thanks. I'm good. I can just be a worship leader or I can serve in the background. I can be a teacher. And it's always uh, the profession that I ended up in. So I was, I was more than happy to be that and not necessarily be at the front of the ministry. So yeah, I didn't cross, I didn't want to cross that line. <laughs> you didn't even want to get close to it. Yeah. I, the Lord has me crossing it, but I, I and I'm thankful because I used to see it differently. Definitely. That's cool. Did you have any, I don't know how to say this in English. Do you have any Rosa with your, with your parents being that, like say when you went to, when you got married and went to a different church, was there kind of like, Hey, be careful or watch out for this or, or they just felt, comfortable enough with Sam and his family that they felt okay with you making that transition. And considering how different the churches were, one being very conservative, one being more what I would call, I guess, um, neo-Pentecostal, they're a little more progressive and modern. They had such a relationship for such a long time as co-ministers in the same town, you know, my dad was the pastor on Second Street for many years. They were the pastors of Fourth Street for many on Fourth Street for many years, and there was a lot of fellowship happening at that time. There were a lot of you know the council associations didn't necessarily limit them in their interactions. Our churches were very much into getting together, having fellowship across denominations, and the Lakewood community that we were raised in here in New Jersey was very uh, tight knit community of faith. So the good thing is they have they had them in high regard, and um, although they were different in some doctrinal beliefs, they honored them, you know, and they were very very happy. And he also comes from the traditional background that the woman is to go to where the man is. So cultural tradition actually helped him accept that change as well, because in his mind it wasn't even an option for the male to follow the female. So gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're about, right? Do you guys associate with that? It's like, no, you go where the man goes. And I was okay with that because I felt called to be there anyway. Um, so it just worked out. But well, the only yeah. thing that we associate with you guys is that we're both pastors' kids. We're, I was gonna say, hold on, we can cut right here so we can edit this part. Hold on, take a pause. <laughs> no, no, All no, right, no. so let's because I know you're looking stop. at me. <laughs> no, no, we, we're still on this side of the line and really, really far from it. So, <laughs> we're just fascists because that's the only link we have uh, i thought i thought you meant like the because she went to his side because that's what you just did but ironically again we're both pastors kids but he attends my parents church oh that's why i was like okay i know i know you're so you guys at me. broke you broke social you guys broke social norms awesome but but to explain that a bit my in-laws were still pastoring in new jersey when he moved over here so they weren't pastors here in the state of florida yet because they were still in new jersey when they moved down they became pastors and we still attend my father's church and then his church his parents church is very conservative and ours is a little bit more um i guess modern I don't want to say yeah. modern because we're not, you know, but you guys are liberals. You can say it and that's, <laughs> that's going to stay. No. <laughs> no, 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 no shame. No shame in saying the word liberal, right? It's not, I mean, cause I don't want to say liberal. It's not all, but anyway, it's very different 
from his parents' yes. church. They they still hold on to a lot of um, the things we used to back in the day. But yeah, what, what they what they teach is the same. Right. They just do it differently. Yeah. 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 And our parents knew each other way before us, so I think it's the same because they. I mean, I think he. They knew he was okay coming to Florida because he. They knew my parents, but that's a whole other story. I knew her dad before I knew her, as well. So he liked you before you even uh, sh shared oh, your. Don't go there! Attention. Don't go there! <laughs> who doesn't? Who doesn't like me? That's true. <laughs> that's true, Eli. That is very true. No, that was that's <laughs> not uh, that was fake. No, he go. he was one of these cats that are like trying to trying to be cool with all the young kids. Did you and, say trying? Yeah, trying <laughs> to be cool with all the young kids and and try to use the lingo. And he was funny. Uh, yeah. And it was funny. So yeah. so it was like that. Like as a pastor's kid, you meet or you know of other pastors, you know, because you're always around pastors. Yeah. That's how we grew up. We grew up going to conventions and and things of the sort. So I knew a lot of pastors and they knew who my dad was. So I was like Norberto's son, you know. So it was right. like that. It, it was it was kind of like that. And then at the time he well, he still has a motorcycle, but he had a motorcycle, you know, he was cool dude. But here we are. That becomes at the core of your identity, you know. Um they do that now, for example, you know, for with my children, you're so and so's daughter, you're so and so's son and same thing with us, you know, your pastor so and so's daughter. And so this very day in that social circle, that's exactly what my name is. My name Aleda is not really <laughs> even recognized. It's more of, yeah, you're Pastor LeBron's daughter. And I said, Yep, yes I am, yes sir. <laughs> and you know, it, at the time I didn't see the implications of that. And I considered it an honor and I still consider it an honor, but I think I understand more deeply what that means and how my identity is very closely tied to my family, you know, at least among, among the other pastors, you know, and there was this unspoken expectation that I would be held to higher standards, both spiritually, socially, in every sense of the word, because I was Pastor LeBron's daughter. So in that sense, you know, people were a little less forgiving with me because of who I was associated with. And I somehow spirituality, when you're a pastor's kid, it's automatic. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. people think, you know, it's like, well, you're a pastor's kid. You should know. But yeah, it's interesting that it's still, that's still something that is very prevalent. Yeah, still, whenever I do talk to, to people, yeah, it's, I'm still associated to Norberto's son. It's not Eli, it's so and so, you know, it, it it's might, your father's They might son. know my name. They might say, oh, mira, es Eli, el hijo de Norberto. <laughs> Eli, yeah, you've got to add that, though. <laughs> That's my last name. <laughs> your last name, el hijo de... El hijo de Norberto. <laughs> but I think also culturally, like in Puerto Rico, it's, it's... That's also very common when you introduce someone, you're introduced by whom, you know, the family. You know, the family name is a part of the introduction, you know? Yeah, I like it. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I'm very proud of my family name. And, you know, my maiden name is LeBron, which is a pretty cool name, actually. <laughs> um, so I'm very proud to, to be associated with it. My, my 
father's an honorable man, so I'm, you know, more than proud. He's got out of school when he was in third grade. He was pulled to work the fields and educated himself in scripture and, and taught himself how to read through the Bible. So I'm very, very proud of that. My dad for being changed by God, breaking a lot of generational curses. We had a lot of alcohol abuse and a lot of a lot of unhealthy patterns that he was able to break. So I'm super proud. Definitely proud. Yeah, that's that's awesome. My dad's kind of similar as well. His his dad passed away young because he drank a lot. And wow. and uh I, I my dad was, was the first to to be Christian in his family. And I, I know from from what he says, it, it was tough. And my mom too, my oh man, like it's just it's just bonkers what they had to go through. My my mom's dad was an alcoholic as well. And wow. um and like how you said, generational curse, they broke it, you know. Mm-hmm. And and they showed us that we don't have to be like that. You know, just because mm-hmm. you came from a certain place, you don't have to be like that. And yeah. we try to we try to instill that to our kids as well, that just because you're from here or just because, whoever whatever, you're you and you you gotta stay you, no matter what. Yeah, and that's the gift of being a PK too. They teach you resilience. Mm. You know, get back up on your feet, keep it going. <laughs> right. That's the dust that dirt off your knees, keep it going, and that's a gift. Yeah, as I as I speak yeah. to different people. I see that like I, I never really thought I was learning lessons right. even even now like I don't I'm the type of dude that doesn't think about stuff like so deeply like I'm very mm. <laughs> I'm very shallow <laughs> but <laughs> but um like I was like man this this makes total sense as I'd speak to people and and there's such similarities throughout the different way people have been brought up even different uh, ethnic backgrounds, the similarity is still there. It's like, mm-hmm. wow, that makes total sense right now. And then somebody would say something like, man, that makes total sense why I think that way. You know, so I, I guess I guess speaking to you guys has helped me out as well. So that's fun. I think yeah. resilience is a good word. We've had so many conversations with PKs and they kind of just discussing things that they might have been through or as a PK have seen them go through and they can just brush it off, turn around and show grace to those same Uh people. And we're just like, how or why? And it's not until you're a little bit older, maybe taken out of this situation that you can go back and kind of see things. But yeah, resilience, that's that's a good word. Yeah. And it helps me, you know, being a PK has been, I think, probably what readied me to do school leadership because I've learned to deal with all kinds of personalities, <laughs> all kinds of characters. And you learn to be that ambassador, you know, you learn to be that in between and to seek reconciliation for the better good of the church. Because as pastor's kids, you're always thinking about or whether it's intentional or unintentionally it is expected that we think about the overall wellness of the church like that. We do things for the church and the church and the wellness of the church and the church family is a priority, you know, naturally. So, you know, as being ministers of reconciliation, I think I can truly say that I'm able to bring that into the workplace. And I think had I not, had I not been a PK, there's some unique leadership styles that I can offer 
I can be a gift because I was a PK, because I learned through the school of hard knocks, you know, how to just work with all kinds of personalities. Cause you know, dad said so. <laughs> it's like, you have to be nice no matter what. I just had to be nice no matter what, you know, and I had to show restraint no matter what. And it, it was a call to maturity, even though sometimes it felt like they were calling us prematurely to mature, but you know, we didn't have time to be kids as, as much as maybe other kids had, but at the same time it grew us. Looking back, growing up, not so much as a pastor's kid, but growing up in church and mm -hmm. as a musician in church, when I was going to school over here, I went to school over here in Florida for music. And a lot of the things that they they asked for, I already had. You know, mm -hmm. like, um, make sure you're presentable. Make sure you speak correctly make sure you yeah. you stand like this or make sure so all these little things that come come along with with being a musician not just playing your instrument i learned that in church because my dad said if you want to play you're going to have to wear a tie mm -hmm. if you want to talk in the front you're going to have to you know express yourself and that helps immensely immensely especially when you're in in front of it's a jury and you're in front of four or five professors that are looking at your, at your every move. You know, of course you're going to be nervous, but personally, I, I already had that experience because my church was a small church and everybody yeah. was like watching to see what I would do right or wrong. And, yes. and nobody yeah. was shy to let me know that I did something <laughs> wrong. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, it's like you become everyone's son, right? Or everyone's daughter, you're the peaked daughter. So therefore, um, everyone has the right to correct you or, you know, and it's funny because I feel like in my church, um, I was more raised, my father was like, you know, don't give people a reason to talk was his mm -hmm. famous line. I know that words guard your testimony. And, and it's interesting because when I went over to my mother-in-law's community she's more of the school of thought that you know you talk about my kid you and I are gonna have a problem you know mm -hmm. so, it was a very different kind of cultural shift because she was a mama bear when it comes to her kids she will set you straight it's my child it's my job to shepherd my children not yours and she'll she'll make sure you knew you were out of line whereas for my dad he was like hmm no le dejason para hablar, you know, don't, don't, don't give them a reason to talk. So, you know, and it's just different parenting styles and stuff like that. But it, it was very interesting to see how even within every PK family, there's just very different dynamics. There's just a lot of diversity, you know, even within the PK families. There are a lot of similarities, but there's also a lot of, a lot of differences. Yeah, that's what makes things interesting, being different. Yeah. yeah. But so relatable. Yeah. I, li I like it. Being different is dope. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. No, I'm into I'm into being different. Like, I'm not trying to be weird or trying to be, like, a special guy. Man, like, if we were all the same, I yeah. don't know. Let's not even get into that. Well, you're a musician by trade, so I can imagine creativity, uniqueness. You know, that's that's a special trait of a musician, and that's my husband. My husband's totally like that. I'm a more of a conformist. I'm an educator. I'm like, listen, get your act together. <laughs> I'm the one disciplining the kids. No, this is how we act. These are the consequences of your choices. You know, I'm such a, I'm such a principal. So um, it's good to have him balance me out because he's the funny, creative one, out of the box thinker. You know, you need both in the, in the church of Christ. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So how did being a PK influence your spiritual life? I understood the importance of servant leadership for sure. You know, not leading out of for platform. That's definitely one thing that my father was very big on integrity, you know, being a servant leader and doing things with integrity. So I, I did, I was fortunate that I had a father who, who modeled that. I also found that in my spiritual life, I, like I mentioned before, there was this unique perspective that I have to protect the unity of the church. You know, um, that is something that was always a top priority for my father as a senior pastor. So for me, I always saw what that was like. So I, I've come with that perspective already that um, we need to protect the unity. Um, and I, and I, like, I like being able to have that unique perspective. And I also think a very, very strong commitment to service, you know, which is good and bad. It, I think I'm learning now that it has good and bad consequences, you know, because service is good, but when you're, when you value or you place worth on what you do versus who you are, you, you, you are in a dangerous place. Hmm. So I value ministry productivity, like, you know, doing and doing, doing for Christ, filling in the gaps, doing what you need to do. Sacrificing family time was not uncommon for me. So being able to just say, hey, you know, service is valuable, but who I am is worth more than what I do. That's been a more recent shift and been a very difficult shift for me. But I'm, I'm learning, I'm growing, you know, and being with Christ is my number one priority. And I used to know that, but in reality and in the way I functioned, I functioned more as a ministry workaholic than I did as a minister, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because out of a love for service, I, my worth and the more I do for God, the closer I am to God. And that's definitely a, a lie because I didn't realize that throughout the years I was committing violence to my soul by not knowing how to rest in him. Mm. But believe it or not, my awakening came with COVID mm. when I started to feel guilty about the fact that I loved not having to go to church five days a week. <laughs> <laughs> I was happy. I was one of those. I was, I was happy. And then I started to reevaluate my spiritual walk. And I said, why am I relieved that my schedule has been slowed down? Why is this a relief to me? You know, what's going on? So I've been on a journey. I've been on a journey on trying to understand, realizing that, um, that I became inhuman, you know, because it was all about what I could do and not just being. And in that, I lost my own sense of humanity. Like, Hey, I lay that, you know, you're tired and it's okay to be tired and it's okay to take a break when you're tired. Um, it's okay to say, no, you cannot go to all these events, know your limits, you know, those little things that I, I try to be superhuman and that is a mistake, you know, so service is good in itself when it comes from a place of overflow, but when it comes from a place of duty and eventually when it's, you're overworked, it comes from a place of resentment. Like you're doing it, but you're not even happy doing it anymore because you're overworked. 
you're overwhelmed, you're not rested, your spirit has not been replenished, your mind has not been replenished, and and you're doing more than you're being, you know, so that, while it shaped my spirituality to serve, it, it became dangerous over time for me, and that's just me, you know, maybe not you guys, but. Well, I'm, I'm a totally different story, forget that, like, we're not getting into that, we don't have time for that. <laughs> No, but that's totally it's 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 a pastoral life. Like yeah. right now, we're fighting with my dad. Hey, you gotta slow down, man. Sit down. Like, don't. I'm not saying stop everything, but slow down. So that makes total sense. And serving, it's all we saw. So that's all I knew is to serve. I mean that that was the example that we led. We did outreaches. We we were everywhere. The community. I mean, I was taught that if a church were too close and the community doesn't feel it, then the church wasn't doing their job. Like, because mm -hmm. that's all, again, that's just the type of pastors, maybe their style, but that's all we did was serve. And it's always better to serve. So. Right. It's better to serve to be served. So why would you serve yourself? Right. Why, you know, self-care wasn't talked about. Right. Um, your emotional wellness. That's why a lot of PKs are very, um, have a lot of resentment towards the church because there there was was not okay to um, give your body some rest, which makes no sense because it's the fourth commandment, guys. You know, like <laughs> where did we lose this basic foundational truth that we should be resting often in Christ, doing it in our time with God throughout the day and doing it at least a full twenty four hour period a week, but in the Spanish Pentecostal movement where we know we're doing and doing and doing and in itself and it's with good intentions but when your soul is not able to find rest that's a very very dangerous place to be definitely yeah and I think we those dangers were evidenced in COVID when families were in crisis or when families just walked away from the church they're like wait a second I like this. Yeah. <laughs> what? I can rest and hold up. But everybody doing while I'm doing all these things for church, you know, people are resting. What? Are those dealing with guilt and didn't know how to And yeah, I'm dealing with guilt. I'm I'm actually happy that I don't have to go to church now. And and that was I think on a lot of people's minds who were maybe overworked and exhausted, you know? And I realized, you know what, if we're gonna the church is gonna be able to bounce back from this COVID crisis, we're going to have to be a lot more intentional about being holistic. We can't just focus on service because if we just focus on service and we don't talk about our inner lives and how our inner lives, the health of our inner life reveals the health of our spirituality. Like it's all synonymous. It's not, it's all tethered, you know, like, you know how we tether our laptop with our phone we're tethered. Like my emotional life is tethered with my, my spiritual life and my physical life. It's all tethered. I, I, they're interdependent pieces. And I need to make sure if I just focus on the exterior service and not the interior flow of the Holy Spirit in me, what God is saying to me, you know, I would always be preparing even in my prayer life and my prayers, I would be praying for everybody. And I would pray for my family and I would just, I would pray for, but I didn't stop just listen to the worries of my heart and unpack them before God as David did in Psalms. 
I wasn't expressing my emotions. Are you kidding me? I had to keep my emotions in check and keep it going. Mm -hmm. Like there was no emotions. What do you mean? We don't have time. That's deceiving. You know, your emotions are deceiving, you know, let's keep it going. So that keep it going mentality at any cost was, I think something that I realized the church can't, the church can't keep doing this. You know, we can't keep doing this as a church. And honestly, emotional wellness and mental health is what the world needs right now, post COVID. And church has it. We have it. We have Christ. He was the perfect model of what it was to live out freely his emotions and his expressions. He was fully human and fully God. Yeah, I don't know what it is about us that we just want to be superhuman in our spirituality. And it is such a false, deceiving spirituality. It's it's that's you know, it's okay that I'm emotionally overwhelmed right now by this experience and by this trauma or this crisis that's happening or this problem or this situation or by the workload and you know it's okay it is totally okay and i need times to sometimes hit the pause button and reset and Mm -hmm. i'm not less spiritual because of it right you know i didn't go to the revival i mean i'm not saying this is a pass to just be irresponsible as leaders no but what I'm saying is that if we're doing more than we're being with him, then we're focused on the blessing and not the blesser, you know, and, and that is ultimately that spirituality is not going to be enough to carry us through what it life is going to be like post COVID. You know, there's a lot of mental health. There's a lot of spiritual and emotional health that needs to be addressed. And if we don't do it, we have the answers. We just have to break away from certain ideas that have been culturally implanted in us you know yeah the culture is it runs deep like you're you're holding on to things because this is the way it's done this is the way i was taught generational man like my dad's generation it didn't it really didn't matter if you were in or out of church it was a work generation so you know my dad worked 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 and he was a pastor and worked and when he was not working he was pastoring when he was not pastoring he was working and when he was not working, because he always had a a secular job, and when he wasn't working his secular job, he was working at the church physically. And when he was not working at the church physically, he was pastoring. When he wasn't pastoring, he was teaching somewhere. When he wasn't teaching, he was working. And when he wasn't working, he was pastoring. And it just got bonkers. I don't, I don't feel like he was not my dad. Right. But I saw... When when I was, I say when I, when I was like high school age, I started seeing like, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this constant working. And again, he would take us to Puerto Rico. He would take us to Florida. He would take us to Canada. You know, all these things. He You know, we would go out. It wasn't like I was deprived of my dad or my parents because my mom worked right. too for the mm-hmm. church. But it was it was tough, and then now, like I said before, now it's like, hey, could you slow down a little bit? Like, just take a breather, man. Like, you don't have to do everything. And I think that has to do with with his upbringing, you know, his, his upbringing, the culture, just like how you say, you're just trying to be like the super guy, and mm-hmm. and you're you're like stretching yourself out way too thin, which yeah. is you're trying to do the right thing, and that's that's the crazy thing about it. it's like. All of what you're doing is good, but you got to know when it's like, just take a break. Right. It's not at the expense of your own uh, mental health and your emotional health and your physical health. And I think that that's what 
in COVID, we also saw a lot of pastoral pastors in crisis. And, and it's, again, it's, it's a overemphasis on service and overemphasis on church attendance. And what I'm realizing is that what we need more of is relational, profound discipleship, you know, and then church attendance comes naturally, right? Comes out of an overflow and a commitment to both Christ and the church. But it's not that I have to work to make sure or, or be in a panic about church attendance. And I know it's, I'm not meaning to oversimplify it because you have the burden of finances, you have the burden of many other things that come with it, which is, I think it's so important for churches to be as debt-free as they can when possible. But in, in COVID, we found a lot, we saw that pastors were in crisis themselves and that that's very telling of our spirituality. Uh, you can't be spiritually thriving and emotionally paralyzed or an emotionally exhausted and drained. You, you can't be spiritually thriving, but emotionally drained. It doesn't happen. It, yeah. You know, so being able to give out of a place of overflow. And when I say overflow, it is an overflow in my time with Christ versus, you know, my time in church attendance. And my, I'm not saying that attendance to God's house is, I'm just saying that the, when it is the only measurement of my spirituality, it is a dangerous place to be. To, uh, to close out, I would like for you to to give a word of encouragement or a word of advice specifically to pastors' daughters. The pastors' kids and daughters and wives, I would say, slow down. Give yourself permission to slow down so that you're there for the long term. Talk about what your physical and emotional needs are, you know. Someone has to start doing that, you know. Um, and we, the church, are the answer. As I've said before, we are the answer. In Christ, there is rest, and there is a rest that the world cannot offer. So it's okay. You know, I think as PKs, we put our pressure on ourselves to have to do so much more and more than everybody else because we're a PK. No, we do what God wants us to do uh, at the time he wants us to do it and the way he wants us to do it, but we don't, we don't just do because you're worth is not in the doing your worth is in the fact that Christ paid the price and made you whole and his work is complete. You don't have to complete the work of God. <laughs> his work is already done in you and your worth is not in doing it's in being. And if you can, if you can get that and being in, in, in your hidden, your hidden life that no one sees is more important than your public life. Because I think that we are so, in tune to think about, worry about, maintain our public life, that our personal life starts to fall apart. And that is a dangerous, dangerous place to be, but it's okay because God is in the ministry of reconciliation. And find people who will help you with your personal life, with your inner life to recover there because we will, as PKs, naturally sacrifice a lot. Our own happiness will sacrifice, will We'll sacrifice family time. We'll sacrifice everything for the sake of the gospel. When Christ tells us that our family life is ministry, who says that our family life is not ministry? You know, mm -hmm. ministry is not just what we do in the four walls of the sanctuary. It's what we do at work. It's what we do at home. You know, what you do at home is just as important as what you do at in front of the congregation for others to see. Don't worry about it, you know? So it, I think it's, be before you do because if not you're going to be exhausted and you're going to resent 
the church, you're going to resent everybody around you. It sounds like so simple, right? Yet so, so complicated. Simplicity is the key. <laughs> <laughs> time alone. It's like when you're with your spouse, not replace the time alone with my husband. Like, you know, I can go on a double date. I can go out with my kids, but my time alone with my husband is sacred. It's a non-negotiable, really, if you think about it, because my marriage is not going to last if I don't have it. It's a non-negotiable. My time alone with God is a non-negotiable. The house can be upside down, whatever. doesn't matter. <laughs> Everything else can go to the wayside. A mind time with God has to be, that's the place where I am filled so that I can be a better daughter, a better mother, a better PK, a better everything. I'm a better everything when I'm time when my time with God is just not compromised. And that and that's at the end of the day the most important thing. Any PK can do is just to be more like God and be in his presence. Awesome. Thank you for your words. Thank you for your time, Aleida. Oh my gosh. I was telling my wife today, it's like I can't wait to talk to this lady. She's Aww. just gonna spit some knowledge. <laughs> it's an honor. It's an honor. And thank you, Ellie, for, Ellie, you know, keep doing what you're doing. You guys keep doing what you're doing. And um, it's important for PKs to get talking.